Welcome in to the CHGO Best Damn Chicago Bears Podcast you will ever find. We are super proud to be presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app, use the promo code CHGO when you sign up. Now, we have royalty on the show today out of the Ohio State University, a Chicago Bear through and through, a man that I've got stories on that I can't wait to talk about, Greg Braggs' personal friend, Doug Plank, joining the show today. Doug, thanks so much for being here. We appreciate you coming on CHGO Bears. No, thank you so much. Always enjoyed being here. It's it's great talking to you guys. Yes, and uh, for those of you who uh, are watching on the YouTube Doug might be slightly delayed, so just I what I recommend is just you use this as an amazing audio podcast, unless you want to stare at Greg Braggs because <laughs> he looks Braggs. Oh, you look very intimidating today, buddy. You look like, like you're trying to dial up your Doug Plank. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> excited to have you on, Doug. Um, I always tell people you're one of the best storytellers for Bears fans that didn't get the chance, you know, or the you know the 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 graciousness to watch you play. And, um, you know, I've, I've interviewed you before and you, you taught me a lot about the bears of before my time. And I think anybody that's tuning in right now, that is a younger bears fan is going to appreciate some of the things and the stories that you bring. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd certainly like to start it with, I mean, I think a lot of people know you for, you know, being a part of buddy Ryan's four, six defense. And, and for those that don't know in the chat, maybe tell the story about, how Buddy Ryan came up with that name of the defense and and why you are forever attached to that. You know, when I got to Chicago in 1975, same year Walter Payton did, uh, I was on a, a draft uh, group that maybe maybe there were seven seven guys in that year that made the team and, and not started, but maybe six of us started. And uh, so it just goes to show you where we were at that stage of it. And, uh, you know, Jack Pardee was a really uh, a blood and guts coach. I mean, he just wanted to see everybody get smash mouth, you know, physical, play very aggressive constantly. Uh, but it was very simple, very simple concept on offense and defense. And then in 1978, uh, Jack Pardee left to become the, the uh, head coach of the then Washington Redskins. And uh, they brought down a, a, a two coaches from Minnesota, uh, the head coach, Neil Armstrong, and the secondary, the defense coordinator coach, uh, Buddy Ryan. And Buddy came down and said, uh, you know, he looked at me at free safety, uh, which I had led the team in tackles. You know, if your free safety is leading your team in tackles, you got a problem. <laughs> it means those runners, those receivers are running downfield, picking up yards. They're, they gained 10 yards by the time I ever got to them. So uh, he just said, he came up with this defense one day. We all walked in a meeting room and he had all these numbers. Buddy Ryan was not an X and O's guy. He was a numbers guy. You weren't even a name. You know, you were an adjective if you weren't a good player or you were a number. If you were a number, you wore that number in the meetings with pride versus SOB or DA, you know, put all the italics you want on whatever he had called. He had names for everybody. And some of them were so discouraging uh, especially young players. When Mike Singletary came in, I thought Mike, I thought Mike was going to have a psychiatric breakdown because, uh, you know, he just couldn't deal with Buddy Ryan. Buddy was just, you know, one word answers. Uh, and there was none of, none, none of this coaching stuff like, Hey, come over here, son. I'm going to go out in the field and I'm going to teach you how to do all this technique. No, if you didn't know how to do it on your own, you were a dumb donkey. You know, you can turn that any way you want. And uh, he just call you out right in the meetings. You dumb donkey. You know, when are you going to learn this system? <laughs> um, and he put, so he took me, the, he said, I'm not a free safety. He said, I said, what I am, I, what am I? He goes, you're a middle linebacker. So he put me up there right in, right behind the line of scrimmage. And then he put all, he had five guys on the line of scrimmage. You know, Gary Fence, became the uh, free safety. We still had, still had two corners out there. And uh, someone said, what are you going to call this buddy? And he circled my number like three times and said, we're going to call this the 46 defense. Now you can say, you can imagine now this was before the 46 defense had even played one play. So nobody was over. No, nobody was overly zealous. Oh my gosh, that's going to be a great defense. That's going to take us to the Super Bowl. 
we hadn't even been anywhere near the Super Bowl. You weren't even allowed to mention Super Bowl at the Chicago Bears facility because that was something you were never going to get to. And uh, finally, buddy, this whole thing just kept getting bigger and better, and, and they started making better draft choices uh, with the Bears, you know, replacing players that were either older or compromised in their physical skills. And, um, you know, I never made it to the Super Bowl. A lot of people think, oh, my gosh, Doug, how's the Super Bowl? I don't know. I watched it on television with the rest of you guys. How was it? I wasn't there. <laughs> and, uh, but the 46 defense, it was not about a passive defense. It was about put your, you know, put your good man, put your boy pants on. Let's go, let's go do some work. And we're going to go get the quarterback. That's the whole scheme of the 46 defense. Destroy the quarterback. We want to find out who the backup is because the backup just like what happened to the 49ers is not going to win championship games. And so every play we had was go get the quarterback. In fact, when one guy intercepted the ball, he was on his own. What do you think the other 10 guys were supposed to do? Go get the quarterback. When you watch this on film, it didn't take for long for quarterbacks around the league to see this. And as soon as they threw an interception, they didn't care what happened on the field. They were running for their bench. And they were trying to dive out of bounds just so 10 guys didn't jump on top of them and hit them. And uh, so anyway, that's my fourth year. You know, the 46, 46 defense came into uh, existence. And, uh, you know, we mixed that in with all of our other type defenses. And uh, our offense, uh, really, our offense started getting better and better and better, even with the great Walter Payton. And, um, you know, we became the 85 Bears. The Bears became it. And uh, I think it was truly one of the, best teams ever. Uh, Jim McMahon is a quarterback who really didn't care. He wasn't going to listen to anybody. He didn't care about Mike Ditko, what his direct, his instructions were. When Jim McMahon got out of the field, if he wanted to throw a bomb, he was going to throw a bomb to Willie Go. And uh, if anybody would watch that Thursday night game uh, against the Minnesota Vikings out there, and Jim McMahon was on the sideline for some injury, I don't know what it was. And then they decided, you know, they were falling behind in the game. So they brought Jim in. The first three passes he threw were touchdowns. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Hey, That's uh, all you need to know about Jim McMahon. Yep. Yeah, I, well, I want I want to talk McMahon with you. I want to talk Dicka with you. I want to talk uh, Walter with you. But I, I also want to ask you about a story that I heard, Doug. Now, I don't know when when you say that you were, I don't know what the if I say you were slightly crazy on the field, would you would you say that's a fair <laughs> a fair description? Yeah, you know what it is? I mentally train myself not to be afraid. Uh -huh. uh, suppress your survival instinct. We all have an instinct to survive. If someone came in for a gun right now in your room here and pointed at you, you would do something. You're not going to just freeze up. You're going to duck under the desk or you're going to maybe try to attack the guy. Well, I trained myself that when I was approaching another body, usually bigger than me, I would never slow down. I would just keep going until the point of impact. And yeah. most people that I, I meet now, they go, you're no NFL player. You're not even that big. You're you're 5'10". Well, I know I've lost two inches through joint replacement, knees, shoulders. Uh, I mean, yeah, after a while, gravity starts having an effect on a body. It shrinks you down towards the ground. That well, that's, that's where I'm at. But I convinced myself, you know, throughout that game, no matter where I was, I was not going to slow down at anybody. And I was, I don't, maybe I was going to get wiped out. I had a lot of concussions throughout my career. Uh, I kind of learned that skill at Ohio State. Nobody really understands this. I only played five games at Ohio State. My junior year, I played zero games. Is that amazing? Zero games. Three, th three games my senior year, because the kid in front of me, Tim Fox, an all pro player, a safety, the Patriots, he went to the Raiders, or not uh, the, uh, the uh, San Diego Chargers, and I think he played some for the Rams maybe. But, uh, you know, he could run like a 4-5, four, 4-4. Five, four, four. I couldn't run a 4-4. Four, four. You know, one thing I could run, though, I could run a 4-7 at full speed into another person, full speed. I never slowed down. And, you know, you, you look at all these people out here today that are running 4-4s four, and jumping 36 inches or whatever, uh, you know what? A lot of those guys in their mind, they don't have that ability just to go, I'm going to be a cruise missile and I'm going to make impact on somebody at full speed. I don't care if you're only going 18 or 20 miles an hour, you're going to do some damage. 
I, I got two questions on you on that, but I want to I want to hit this story because you mentioned Ohio State and you had a teammate at Ohio State in Brian Bashnangle, who was also yes. he was a teammate of yours of the Bears. Now I heard a story here, Doug, not gonna out who told me this one, but apparently you guys were having some practice in the offseason, light practice, I think like a indoor facility, and you're supposed to, you know, be playing, you know, not you're not hitting fully. And and, <laughs> and I think you know the story I'm talking about. And here comes Bashnagel making a catch, and you cracked him into the cement like f- ground that you were, you know, like there wasn't grass. This was indoor, terrible. And you apparently, according to the, my source here, you said to him, "Oh, I'm sorry, Bash. Didn't know it was you." And then about five plays later, you cracked him again right back into that cement. You're like, uh, that time I did know it was you. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you, here's the reason for my first day at Ohio State, the morning we had to run two mile test in 12 minutes. So that meant you could run one mile in six minutes, but you had to run the second mile in six minutes. That's hard to do as a football player because we had helmets on and shoulder pads. We didn't have a full equipment on, but we we had shoulder pads and a helmet, had to run around a, a track, you know, those tracks around football fields, you know, a quarter mile. Uh, you, we had to run around that eight times. That was two miles. And we had to do it in 12 minutes. So that, but that was the worst part. But then we go over to the stadium, and now we just have these helmets on. Helmets and nothing else. Shorts, T-shirts, whatever. And those, those freshmen, the practice just started ramping up. We, it was supposed to be a walkthrough practice. Uh, there's a point to this, what I'm telling you. Uh, after 10 to 15 minutes, we were we were playing tackle football on the AstroTurf with a helmet and nothing else on. 11 guys on both sides because everybody was trying to be a man, you know, he-man, you know, chauvinistic, whatever you want to call it. Somebody came up at the time they won, they made me a running back because I, I was a quarterback in high school and a defensive back. So they didn't have enough guys to carry the ball. So I'm, I'm running around, you know, carrying the ball. One guy comes up to me a safety. I'm not even looking. This is supposed to be a walkthrough practice, which means you walk through, you just learn the plays. No, this turned into full speed. So now I got the ball and I run through the line and I'm not thinking it's still not, nobody got tackled. This guy tackled me, hit me on the side of my right knee, tore two ligaments, the ACL and MCL. Now that surgery back in the seventies, you were 50, 50 at best. You were ever going to come back on this field. Wow. And, and I got treated like, you know, when someone said I got hurt, I'll never forget I'm laying on the ground and one of the coaches walks over to me and goes, what town did you come from, Doug? And I said, Irwin, Pennsylvania, in a suburb of Pittsburgh. He goes, what do you think the people would think of you right now? You haven't been here 30 minutes and now you're laying on the ground saying you're hurt. You know what? Tears rolled down my face. I became Doug Plank <laughs> that first day at Ohio State. Whatever there was, I don't care, walk through T-shirts, we could be naked out there. I'm going to take <laughs> your head off. And I'm never going to have another walkthrough practice in my life. And I and everybody on the other team knew it. Brian Bashnagel and everybody else. I don't care what it was. We could have went out there with nothing on. I'm good. You're gonna get my best. I'm, I'm coming at you full speed and we'll see what happens. Didn't you get uh I heard some other story around that time, Doug, where you, I think you got hurt and maybe this is the same thing, but not like fully putting it all together here, but you got hurt and you saw that like, Oh, now I'm hurt. And all these buddies of mine that were my best friends, they no longer are because I'm, I'm, I don't have the same juice that I once had because I can't play football because now I'm dinged up. And then there's some level of, all right, screw all of you. I clearly, this is not, this is, this is not show business. This is not friends business. This is show business. And I got I'm going to do what I got to do to survive. You know, what's funny about it. Uh, okay. So the first day I'm there, I'm hurt. Okay. I, so I have surgery. Um, and you know, when, when, when I knew I was seriously hurt, um, you know, I, I didn't get it. I didn't get operated on right away. Uh, because someone diagnosed it as tendonitis. I don't even know what tendonitis was. It sounds like arthritis, something minor, minor, minor. Nobody knew that I had torn these ligaments and, you know, and, and the cartilage in my knee. And uh, so t- for two weeks, I went over to practice 
and I kept trying to practice. I would tape up my knee. You could, I had like five rolls of tape on my knee. My knee was like a cast. I could barely run. Now you can imagine me out there because all of a sudden, all I've seen is, is trainers. I haven't seen a doctor at all. So after two weeks, I get hurt again on the same knee. How, you can't play without ligaments in your knee. So they go back in there and they go, well, we're going to have you see the ortho orthopedic doctor today. He walks in. He takes one look I'm on that medical table. He looks at my knee and he, he grabs the bottom of where the ankle's at and he, he moves it. Well, the, the knee is just, you can move it any way you want to move it because uh, there, there's no structure there. It's broke. He goes, Doug, I, I need, I need your parents' phone number. <laughs> I'm sitting on this medical table. I go, why do, why do you need my parents' phone number? Because I'm thinking he's going to call my parents and say, come and get this piece of you know what and take them back home because he ain't going to do anybody any good here. He goes, well, I need their permission to operate on you tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I got emotional. like, oh, my God, there is something wrong with me. It is not It is not in my mind. I, I didn't just imagine this. I'm in Ohio State where all these All-Americans and everything else are. Now, all of a sudden, what what worthy, how much value does an injured safety have who never has shown anybody he did anything of any value? So after that surgery and I came back, I got to be the strongest player on the team doing leg extensions and contractions and all that. You know why? Because I had a purpose. The next, next spring in spring football in college, somebody was going down. I could not wait for those first 30 practices to show everybody, you know what? I don't have half go. There's no walkthrough. There's no, I became a warrior and, you know, it got, it got me on special teams, but I think I was so crazy in practice. I, I think some of the coaches just feared putting me in the game <laughs> because, you know, I was more concerned with wiping people out than even executing plays. Oh. Well, uh, Dan Hampton once told me that I asked him who who was the hardest hit he ever took in the NFL, and he said Doug Plank at practice, and he <laughs> without hesitation he said it got to a point where we had to tell him like knock it off, Doug. We're <laughs> the, the only defensive lineman had that had bruises in their back and their legs. <laughs> how were you able to? How were you able to see the quarterback when Hamp was in front of you? I mean, all you, I'm sure all you could see was his big ass. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's a large <laughs> man in front of you there, Doug. You know what? Honestly, Dan, I, he was such a, a great player for us and a warrior and a personality. I mean, he's, he was so much fun to be around. He had, he had great stories. And he just said, Doug, please don't hit me in the back of the legs. You know, can you, you know here's what happens, though. When you're running at a target, now, he doesn't even know I'm coming. And he he's all of a sudden throws somebody to the side, and maybe he he himself gets thrown the equal and opposite direction, because I always try to hit gaps. Well, at the at the last second, a lot of times our own linemen would fill those gaps, and I would just smack right in their back of their buttocks, legs, knees. Um, I mean, I tried to stop it. How do you run full speed and stop within like a foot or two? You can't do it. You know, it's we called it friendly fire. <laughs> And it was just one of the realities. And, uh, and I got Gary Fensick to play like that, too. I mean, he was a receiver at Yale. I mean, come on. Then he turns into the, you know, a, a, you know, a seeking, uh, you know, a, a cruise missile for the Chicago Bears after coming out of being a receiver at Yale. Doesn't happen. It's wild. It's wild. We need to get you in the locker room, Doug, so we can talk to some of these guys uh, playing for the Bears right now. Because um, you know, every time I talk to you, I want to run through a brick wall. Um, you know, so when you fast forward now to what's going on with the Bears, you know, I would love to hear your perspective on the the new the announcement of the new president of the Chicago Bears. You know, it's uh, that doesn't happen that often here with this organization. That big of a change. You know, what right. was your impression, you know, you being part of the organization, being in the industry and understanding everything that comes with it, you know, what, what were your impressions by that hiring? You know what? I talked to a couple of people from Ohio state that had known him back when he was with the big 10 in, in some capacity, they all had huge respect for him. I, I, I heard some of the several of his interviews. I'm not saying you can tell a lot from an interview, but you can tell a lot from an interview. 
And I, I, I really think he's going to make a significant difference on this team. And um, I, I think, you know, just listening to his interviews, you know, I, I think he says all the right words. I, I think, you know, there was the, the, the gentleman he replaced had been there a long, long, long time. You know, this, this isn't one of those long, long time jobs in any capacity, whether you're, you know, president or a player or, you know, right on down the line. I mean, you know, this is a very, uh, you know, fluid type of situation where, you know, there's only, you know, out of all those teams, only one can be crowned Super Bowl champion. And the rest of them, I don't want to say are losers, but they're literally losers. You know, I've been in a lot of not, not run up, uh, not, missing off the Super Bowl, but in a lot, of, a lot of other capacities, whether it was Rose Bowl games or other things like that, uh, even though you feel like you've had success and you've got to, to some point at the end of the year where even like in the playoffs and you lose, I mean, I, I just talked to several people from 49er organization, you know, those guys were discouraged. They had a great year though, but it doesn't matter. If you don't get to the top and win, then you're you're not a loser, but you know, you didn't, you didn't get it done. I mean, let's, let's face it. And, um, you know, and, I, and so I had to rearrange, you know, I, I almost knew before our season ever began with the group of people that we had, we were not going to go to the Super Bowl. We were not going to win the Super Bowl. So I'm thinking, what else can I do to have a really enjoyable fall and go out there for 16 weeks and just blast people and have fun. <laughs> and I did it. I did it. I mean, Honestly, I would never want to tell anybody this. There were some games I came in and Gary Fensick and I were high-fiving each other because we wiped out their whole receiving core. Their, their running backs were limping off the field at the end of the game. We had succeeded in our mission. Well, well I mean, how much did you watch get to watch Bears games this year? Because it was a tough year for Bears fans. They went 3-14. and 14. Mark can attest to this. He was yeah. in the locker room, yeah. and these guys did play together. Go ahead, Mark. And, and yeah, Doug, just hang on before you you uh, you answer that. We'll get to Doug's watching the Bears this year, but I just want to remind everybody. And and Doug, they're loving you in the chat, so keep it coming. They love your, our our audience is love <laughs> is loving your stories. Uh, they're also loving Game Time, the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports concerts and shows. Dreamed of sitting at the uh, 50-yard line back in the day to see Doug playing kill somebody at uh, Soldier Field. That would have been awesome. Or or courtside at a, perhaps a Bulls game tomorrow night. Portland's in town behind home plate when baseball comes around. Game time has got you covered. You will not find a better deal. Remember this. No better deal on the internet in the secondary market than game time tickets. And if you love CHGO, you're going to love game time. Best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description. Join the over 15 million people who downloaded the Game Time app. Score the best seats to all your favorite events. Braggsy. That's right. The stage is set, and we're counting down to the battle in Arizona. There's no better way to get ready for the NFL action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in Free, free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your Super Bowl 57 winnings with each leg you add up to 100% and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code CHGO. New, bus, new customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHGO. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. So let's get to that question that Bragg's asked here, Doug. Watching this year's team, three wins, number one overall pick. Bears fans were celebrating the tank. Your good friend Greg Braggs was jumping up and down. He was at, he was literally humping our inflatable bear when, when the Bears lost. I'm guessing you were not doing the same. No, it, it's it's hard to watch your team lose, uh, you know, on, in any capacity. And, uh, you know, I, I watched Justin a lot at Ohio State. I mean, every chance I could get, you know, watching the game, not, not live, but, you know, a, a replays and things like that. And, you know, I just thought he had a great college career. And, you know, the first game I got really disappointed, you know, when he had all those sacks, all those sacks happened to him. I mean, he's still a very athletic, young, fast, quick, accelerating, 
how does a quarterback like that get eight eight sacks? I think it was eight sacks, his first start. And there has to be some participation with that. What do I mean by that? That means that the offensive line is light letting some guys through. Whether they want to do it, let them through or not, it's happening. You know, he's not back there by himself. Uh, and so it, it's not a simple solution like, oh, let's just change quarterbacks. Well, how are you going to find another quarterback that's elus- as elusive as he is? You know, um, watching him this year, a couple games, he not only outran all the defensive linemen, he outran all the linebackers, safeties, corners. That one game, he had an incredible, I think when he set the record, he was outrunning the whole secondary. <laughs> I've never seen a quarterback do that. Uh, I, I was down in Atlanta coaching when Michael Vick was there. Um, Michael was big, bigger, stronger, you know, more well put together than Justin was. But, you know, sooner or later, when you're an active quarterback and you're running down through the secondary, sometimes you don't see, you know, people coming at you from blind angles, either taking your legs out, hitting you in the side of the head. Um, and I, I think that's ultimately what happens. Even Michael Vick, you know, he, it just slowly degraded his ability to run and, and very be very elusive, you know, as, as his career went on, you know, you add those, injuries up over and over and over again you know a human being is no different than a car you got to change the tires and change the oil and all that sort of thing and you know unfortunately in body parts you know you don't have any extra ones you've got to just deal with what you've got and uh but it does and 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 if if it's even just a a fraction of a second slower than what you were before that's what this games are won on now you know just fractions of seconds and uh I just look, I think watching football right now, the, the people that t- are controlling the National Football League are, are, have made decisions over the decades that we want this to be high scoring, you know, the ball getting thrown in the air all the time. I mean, you think about it. When Walter Payton came in, I mean, it was run, 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 run. You know, maybe a, maybe a screenplay or something on third down. That was it. We didn't throw the ball down the field. Or if we did, it was no more than like 10 yards. Uh, but now it's if your team is successful, you've got to be able to have a deep threat, a quarterback that can function back in the pocket and be very elusive. Also, you know, be able to run out, out of the pocket, uh, you know, all those sort of things. And it really has radically changed the game. Could you have played in today's game? No, no. Yeah. Simple. No, I, you want not, let me just say this. I could have walked onto the field, but probably the first couple of times I ran into somebody that was it. Goodbye, you're out. There was one time down in Tampa, I came up and I, I'll be honest with you, you know, I didn't really like Tampa very much. You know, Jimmy Giles was their tight end, you know, and he was a big guy, 6'6", like 260 pounds. Man, you hit him, it's like hitting a trailer. You know, but what, I, I still knocked him on his back. Buddy Ryan said, I had broken ribs the week before we played Tampa Bay on a Monday night game. And uh, so I didn't practice all week. You, you can't practice with broken weeks ribs if you sneeze or cough or anything like that oh my gosh excruciating pain how do you get away from pain it's called a shot they didn't have the tent back then so before the game and at halftime you got shot you got not shot with a you know a gun you got shot with a needle yeah and you you couldn't feel much i mean i, I remember some and they had some needles not like we see it your family doctor these look like horse needles you know, it looked like a glass. The glass was containing all what, it wasn't like a little tube like you see it in the doctors. This was <laughs> this was like something you would drink out of. Yep. You, all that was going into your body. Ugh. And you got to, when that was in your body, you couldn't feel anything. So even if you had broken ribs, you couldn't feel anything. Because yeah. that's what eventually ended up happening. I hit Jimmy Giles on a Monday night game, uh, got fined. And, uh, but you know, I had broken ribs and a whole bunch of stuff like that. But my point is, um, you know, the game is so much more offensively oriented now and designed. So please don't hit the quarterback. Please don't hit receivers. Otherwise, there's going to be consequences. I, I did the I did the Bears post game show with Dan Hampton and Ed O'Bradovich for seven years, Doug. And OB would tell me stories. You know. <laughs> you yeah, know the yeah. Stories. Yeah, I mean, well, he would tell me stories in the 60s. They'd be flying in the back of the plane, and he would sit in the back of the plane with, with Butkus, and they would he couldn't lift his shoulders, like, ever. 
So before the game shot up and then after the game on the flight, they'd just come back there with that huge, yes, whatever you just called it, horse needle. And that was just standard, <laughs> that was standard operating procedure. It was. Um, you know, and it, it takes, obviously it takes a huge toll in your lifetime, but here you are sitting today. It doesn't sound like you would give up playing in the, in the NFL. Like most of you guys wouldn't because you loved it so much. You know what? This sounds kind of crazy, but the, the camaraderie was like beyond anything. I, I compare it to almost like the army. Uh, there were people dying out there. Well, not really, uh, but you know, some came close and you, you were really responsible for each other's health, you know? And what do I mean by that? Well, those guys were up in front of you, like Dan Hampton, which everybody did, did a great job like Dan, he, wiping out all the blockers. You know, Dan was like one of those guys, if I can't get to the running back, I'm taking all these blockers with me and they're going down to the ground. That, that you know, that that's a sacrifice that he made just knowing that guys like me and Fenseek or, or whatever, Mike Singletary, were going to be downfield. We were going to be there to make the, the tackles and, and follow up. And it's that camaraderie that you just don't, I mean, I, I can see those guys like today and it all comes rushing back. Like, do you remember this? You remember the great thing that happened in this game or whatever in, you know, everybody remembers it. I mean, it's, it's like something you will never, ever forget. And uh, so I think that you just take that, you know, for what it is. And you're so thankful that you even had a chance to even be do it for just a few years to even get that experience of like, what total dedication to each other feels like. Doug, you know, when you talk about this year's team and how, how you talked on your experience of being on some bad teams, but walking off the field, being proud of what you did personally, you know, this defense specifically with this year's team had a rough go of it. You know, that the, the defensive line only had 10 sacks, which was a all time record or franchise right. low in Chicago bears history. Um, but there were some bright spots and I'm interested to hear your perspective on a guy like Jack Sanborn, uh, who came in after Roquan was traded and he, he kind of plays in a lot of ways, like you're describing. Yeah, he did, he, honestly, you know, I, I loved watching him play. I mean, you know, you know what he was, is like, even as a coach, as I later became a coach in the NFL, the guys that you always see around the ball there, there, there's, that's not natural. A lot of times when plays would go away from me, you had a choice as a player, just sit where you're at or just dog it, you know, maybe jog over there, or you could be a maniac and you could take off like your life depended on it. You know, like, a, like you were in an ambulance and you had to get to the hospital. You only had three minutes to live. That's the kind of mentality you had to have. You, you, every play you had to think I'm going to be the last line of defense. That guy is not going to get past me. So whatever happens, Wherever he goes, I'm going to go run him down, you know, a receiver, a running back or whatever. And you have to have that mentality all game long. And it's, it's hard to maintain it because it's hard to have that much energy and focus and willingness because you know, when you're going to meet up with him, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a crash. And, you know, a lot of guys just say, no, I've had too many crashes. I, I, I'm all crashed out. I don't, I don't want to go hit that guy anymore. No, I want to hit everybody. Uh, I remember at the end of games when we were losing, Gary Fensick and I were trying to clean up on every receiver, every running back. And they would, like, after a play, they go, what are you guys doing? What? Do you, why are you hitting me? You're losing. The, the game is over. I go, no, our game, Gary and I have our own little game going. Our game is who can get the most tackles, who can get the most interceptions. I said, we, we're still playing our game. I don't care about you guys. Well, they go, they go, they'd walk away shaking their head. Um, well, speaking they, you know, towards, speaking, I remember getting, I remember getting uh, flagged sometimes, penalized, not for hitting anybody. I ran over there thinking someone, there was a pile over there starting to form. And I run over there and I'm going to, at the last second, I don't want to hit my players. So I start flying over the pile. Well, if the guy ever, ever raised his head up like this, I would, you know, catch him right in the face mask. Um, you know, but a lot of times I didn't hit anybody. All I did was fly over the pile because I, I couldn't hit anybody. And they, they would throw a penalty. They would throw the officials would throw a penalty flag. And I'd say, no, I, I didn't even hit anybody. He goes, yes, but you had bad intentions. 
<laughs> I'll never forget the guy telling me that out in Tampa. You had bad intentions. I go, yeah, you're right. I did have bad intentions. So. Uh, you had great intentions. I totally agree. <laughs> I had amazing intentions. You, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've always said Doug. Doug makes me look calm. And if anybody knows me, that's um, that speaks for itself. You have an unbelievable energy and passion still for this team. And I believe you could play safety tomorrow at your current age and, and still hold up. <laughs> Spe- speaking of uh, the safety play, you know, we the secondary was somewhat of a bright spot for the Bears outside of yep. Justin Fields. They really held their own even with a lack of pass rush. Uh, I, maybe speaking specifically to the safety position, since you played it, Jaquan Brisker certainly was somebody that seems like an up and comer on this team. No second round yeah, pick. absolutely. I, when I, I, I looked totally at agree. when I looked at him, Doug, he's as big as a linebacker. He's yes. huge. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I have to agree. I, I think the secondary play got better, but you know, people don't understand too. Your, your line, defensive line, it dictates how good you are as a safety or a cornerback because you know that, like in those 80s, man, those guys were coming. You know, you, you were running an eternal clock in your mind. You know what? That quarterback is either going down or he's got to get rid of that ball now. And what happens is you could take chances. You could jump in front of receivers. You know, you, you could do things, take angles that you know the quarterback wasn't going to be running out of the pocket. As that line breaks down, you know, everything downfield looks so much worse. Long throws, touchdowns, um, you know, you, you're, you're not as free. You know, you have, to, you have to be, as a safety, they always say you're the deepest, deep as the deepest guy. So, you know, you can't be super aggressive like I was because, you know, I used to look at linemen. Linemen are going to tell you run or pass every single time. And if they come across the line of scrimmage, then you know it's a run. And I'm taking off like a rocket ship, you know, out of my stance. I don't care whatever they fake faking back in the backfield. They can't throw the ball because their guard or tackle is downfield. And there were times where I came up and they threw a pass, even with the lineman downfield. No, I would tackle that guy and I would yell for the official, look, it got lineman downfield. Sure enough, he grabbed the flag, throw the flag. Uh, you're not allowed to go downfield if you're a guard, a tackle, or a center. And the moment those guys did that, I was off and running to try to make a tackle or hit somebody at the line of scrimmage. Doug, we can uh, we're going to keep going here too, but I, we can do this all day long. I'm looking at the chat. Carm doesn't look like he wants to be here. Carm could sit here for ten hours and listen to Doug playing tell stories. <laughs> um, this is this is fantastic. I, I, I we really appreciate the time. Uh, Doug Van Dorn in our chat here. Doug has been asking. Uh, did Buddy Ryan ever admit that Perry was not a wasted draft pick? Now, of course, the fridge was there after you had left. Right. I don't know if you, if you kept uh, up with, with with Buddy enough to know if you ever yeah, changed. I did. It. Honestly, I did. I, I I would usually call Buddy like every other week, and uh, you know, just talk to him about the game. And uh, I mean, I think he was still a funny guy. You know, he was a Marine or not a Marine, sorry, an Army sergeant in the Korean War. I mean, Buddy Ryan was a tough guy uh, and he expected toughness out of his players and he would waste no time. No words were off the chart when you he was watching film. You could be called literally anything. Um, there was and there was there was three favorite words, uh, descriptive adjectives that you would never want to be heard from again if someone called you that. And if you got all three of those on one play, we called that the triple crown. And you know what? you're probably not going to start next week if you have a triple crown. We would talk about that on the, or, or Buddy, he, Buddy didn't like guys on the, on, laying on the, on the turf. I'm thinking every time I got my butt knocked on the turf, I'm thinking this is going to be on Monday film session. Coach Ryan is going to look at this thing and say, why, did you, why are you on the field so long? So after that, every time I got knocked down, I'm jumping to my feet like a magic man, like a, you know, a magician. Uh, or if I couldn't get to get to my feet, I'm crawling on the ground like this to get over there to the ball carrier because he's going to be showing this to our entire defense the next week on Monday morning. And you better look like you care that, that you want to get somebody down. You want to run into somebody. You want to tackle them. Uh, buddy, buddy, just, you know, if, if you didn't know his language when you were in there in meetings, you know, trying to watch film of review of games. 
it was just all adjectives. It was adjective after adjective. I'm not going to tell you the adjectives, uh, <laughs> but we all knew what they were. Like I said, I, I don't think I ever heard a triple crown once on me, you know, because I, if I made a mistake, I was crawling back to the huddle or something like that. Uh, I was on my feet as fast as I could. Uh, I learned with Buddy, too. When you get knocked on your feet, you're flying through the air. Someone blindsided you. You know what? You could be a gymnast. You learn how to tuck your head, and you would roll. Actually, someone blasts you off your feet, and you, you, you body-wise, you, you go into that uh, knock off your feet like a, a, you know, a somersault. And you're back on your feet like instantly. It's amazing. And I would practice, I would practice it in practice. So, you know, yeah, you can knock me down off my feet, but I'm not going down. I'm just going to roll and be on my feet running again. Yeah. And yeah, but it was one of those things, even when I coached in the NFL, how many players are around the final receiver or running back? That tells me something. That tells me this guy wants to play football. He is, he is running everybody down just in case the guy gets up or there's a missed tackle. I always dreamed of, and it happened several times along the sidelines, a quarterback missed a tackle. Fortunately, someone like me or Gary Fensick went running over there thinking, Hey, listen, we never knew it was going to be a missed tackle, but we were there to go ahead and follow up on the play, you know, and save a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, you know, who's also always there is, uh, one of our fine sponsors. Hang on here, Doug. Don't you go anywhere. We'll, we'll do one more segment with Doug. Uh, CHGO, proudly supported by Goose Island Beer Company, one of our great partners, Chicago's Beer since 1988. You should have a beer and, and just listen to Doug tell the stories here. Uh, the, the, the beer roster, that's right. The Blackhawks Pale Ale, the Bull City 312, the Bourbon County Stout. I don't know what Bragg's favorite is. Uh, actually, probably likes them all. Christmas IPA, Beer Hug IPA, Green Line, Matilda, yeah, CTA. Uh, this this the, the goose is available for you in whatever flavor you want. Two locations are open and ready to welcome you. Grab a beer right now from their innovation tanks and the goose out of the tap room. That's at eighteen hundred West Fulton, right by the United Center. Or you can go to the Clybourne Brew House, eighteen hundred North Clybourne. Get a smash burger, fresh beer of the week. That's the original location, eighteen hundred North Clybourne. For reservations and pickup, go to gooseisland.com slash locations, Goose Island Beer Company. Yeah, and I want to tell you about our guys over at ComEd. The ComEd Energy Efficiency Program is committed to helping families and businesses in the communities we serve, manage energy usage, and lower energy bills now and into the future. ComEd offers a wide array of incentives on lighting and other efficiency upgrades to commercial, industrial, and public sector customers of all sizes across our territory. Customers can inquire about how to upgrade outdated lighting to energy and money-saving efficient LED lights. Learn more about network lighting to operate your lights through your mobile device and track your facility's energy usage and more. Incentives have recently increased for indoor, outdoor lighting, and networked lighting controls, making these projects even, even more cost-effective than before. Visit comed.com slash poweringbiz now to start saving money and energy. To start a project, contact, contact ComEd at 1-855-433-2700. For more information, go to business. E-E at comed.com or public sector ee at comed.com. I did the ee for Lawrence. There. I, 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 uh, I, 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 uh, <laughs> Doug's in on the ee too. He's in on the ee. <laughs> <laughs> Doug knows I'm an idiot. So, Doug, um, you know, when you talked about wanting to be around the football at the end of a play, you know. I don't how have you ever been around Matt Eberflus? He was defensive coordinator in Indianapolis and now head coach with the Bears. That's his philosophy. It's the hits philosophy where you finish every play and they grade that on a scale so they can hold the players accountable all season long to play through yep. the whistle and go yep. after the football and 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 be relentless like you talk about, but they try to implement it into a system mm -hmm. philosophy. What are your observations of Matt Eberflus? Have you ever been around him? 
Uh, you know what? I, I've never actually met him yet. I've had friends that really just say nothing but good things about him. I, I think he's going to do, have a great impact on the on the Bears. I, I really, I mean, I can't say enough about the Chicago Bears. I mean, we were not good when I first got there. Um, you know, we, we tried to get better. And I, I think that everybody inside that organization was really willing to try to go the extra mile or do whatever's necessary. But I just think sometimes... You just have to you have to be lucky sometimes in football. The b- ball just has to bounce your way. You have to get that interception or fumble. Uh, the same thing is true for people. You know, sometimes even the most decorated people that are getting hired, you know, come into jobs and thinking, oh, my gosh, he's going to do great. Well, they didn't they didn't do great. You know, and there was some for some reason they failed. Um you know, you don't realize this is more than just a vertical jump and how heavy somebody is or what they can bench press. It's about character. You have to have character to play in the National Football League. You have to have character to want to be around the ball every single play, not just one play. You know, after I got hit and in, 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 in damaged at Ohio State, I was not a fun person to be around. When I walked on the field, it's like I'm the switch is on. The, the electricity is, is up to 220 now. I'm hitting everything I can hit as many times as I can. And you know, then Buddy Ryan came in. Hey, if you if you get the interception, great. But the other ten guys can go hit the quarterback. Right. I mean, you talk about fun. We had fun. It was it was a fun time. Even even during losses, Gary Fensick and I had fun because we already set up a set of standards that we were going to live by: hustle, you know, tackle, force fumbles, get interceptions, everything you can imagine. We are playing a game within a game. And I truly believe that's really how you have to be successful. You, you have to be able to say more than, hey, we want to beat the opponent. No, I want to take this guy out to lunch that's going to be across from me today and let him know, listen, this is not going to – I don't care whether we win or lose. I'm playing the same from start to finish. Yep. And along, yeah, unless along those lines, like uh... – just enjoying the game. Jonathan Auden in the, in the chat here, Doug, what was your favorite city team to play and what made it memorable? Oh, um, well, you know, Detroit was one team we, we beat a lot, but you know what? They were, they were a very, very physical team. Um, that, that didn't mean they were going to win games. They just, that just, you know, kind of like us for a while, you know, the Chicago bears, very, very physical, but they weren't going to win any games. Uh, you always had the best games, you know, or, or memorable games like on a Monday night. Um, Joe Namath's last game playing for the Rams on Monday night in Chicago. Wow. That night I had two interceptions. <laughs> I grew up with Joe Namath's poster in my bedroom because I was from Pennsylvania and I was a quarterback in high school. He was my guy. I mean, to get a chance to get an interception or even tackle him in the game. I'm like, I, I remember one time I tackled him. He kind of ran out of the pocket. I go, hi, Joe, how you doing? My name's Doug. I, I used to cheer for you when I was back in high school. This was during the game. I, he probably looked at me like, what the heck are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't, uh, this is like, you get a chance to see your heroes yep. during work, you know, during the game. <laughs> And uh, then to get interceptions on top of it. Um, and like I said, you know, Monday night games were really special. You know, I always thought, you know, that you could play a little bit. There, there was just more energy. You could realize it that whole week just kept building and building. It's like Christmas coming. You know, it's like, you know, it's on its way only a couple days away. And, you know, that you knew that on Monday night, every other team in the, in the country was watching your game. So you were putting on a show for all the other friends that you had at Ohio State, Chicago Bears, it didn't matter. And, you know, so those those were special. I, that's that's just so old school because now, you know, Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, right. it's, it's just not the same. Yeah, but, but back then, Monday night was a huge, huge deal. Do you, speaking of just putting on a show for your friends and all that, not exactly the same, Doug, but – they make a lot more money nowadays than they made back in your day. So, you know, the lifestyle off the field is a whole lot different. Do you, do you think that's impacted how much guys 
are willing to a put their body on the lines or b how much you know they they actually care about playing for their teammates i i think a lot of people would push back on that but i think from your side of the coin you 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 might think that it's a little bit uh, different to what it once was well, yeah, and you know, and you, you you're absolutely correct. I mean, uh, obviously, the finances for owners also. I mean, it wasn't just players, you know, but the owners now are making more money than. I mean, there was actually a lot of NFL teams that were transacted during those periods of time, you know, where people were selling their teams. They they couldn't make any money, you know. There was so it wasn't always just what the way it is right now. You you can't you can't lose and be an NFL owner. I mean, you're going to make money with all the other things now, especially gambling, you know, opportunities and other forms of making money outside, you know, the actual field of play, you know, with charging tickets, things like that. The, the, the media rights now are so, you know, so high. And, uh, you know, but I, I don't like to really try to talk about what is it different? Is it a different attitude? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, many of the salaries that players were making in the NFL back in the 60s and 70s were no different than anybody working for IBM or any other company out there in America. You know, there was, you know, you, you could very easily average, you know, over like an eight or nine year career, you know, 50 or $60,000. And, yeah. you know, by the time your career was done, there was no taking off the, you know, uh, to, to the Bahamas or something like that. No, you were, you were working. I, I remember every year, the last game of the year, 80% of our guys were all leaving after the game. They came packed. Their cars were packed because as soon as the game was over, <clears throat> there was no off-season training programs, nothing like that. Everybody just went home. So after your last game, you're, you're saying goodbye to guys, and they, you're not going to see them again until like the next spring. You know, maybe for one practice, you know, when they come back for one practice or something like that, um, it was just so different than it is now. I mean, it's it's it, you know, it's more money, but it's a full time occupation now. Players are there 12 months out of the year. Not like, you know, you didn't see, you know, once the season was over, everybody on the team usually would go back and work another job. You know that they, they, they needed another job just for employment. Um, it just goes to show you you know, just how different things are, but, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong because I think, you know, it's, it's just, a, it, it's something that just happened to the entire NFL, you know, owner ownership as well as players. Well, speaking of ownership, Doug, one, the other big news that's been going on here in the last 12 months or six months is that the bears are going to move to Arlington Heights potentially and build a new stadium. No. And Mark here does not <laughs> want it. Mark wants them to stay at, Soldier Field on the lakefront yes. in the open, open, no dome in the open weather. Or, you know, <laughs> I guess he'd be fine with the dome, but either way, we're picking nits. How do you feel about that news of, of the Bears moving to Arlington Heights? And, and what, what are your thoughts with everything with the potential? I, I really, I really think it's a sense of reality. All these, these are owners of teams, but they're really businessmen. And I don't think one person could say that any more than the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. I was a coach down there for the Atlanta Falcons for four years. And, uh, you know, their owner was a former founder with Home Depot. And uh, so what happened was, you know, when I first went down there, the Falcons were using another facility that they were playing at. It wasn't theirs. It was owned by the city. And you're, you're severely uh, handicapped when, um, you know, Arthur Blank, you know, looked at, looked at his situation and said, this, this is like, do you want to rent your house or do you want to own your house? I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Do you want to rent your stadium or do you want to own the stadium? Because then you are over, you have jurisdiction over it. It could be used 365 days a year. You know, it could be a huge money maker, you know, and, and also, you know, an, an asset from an asset base, you know, it's capitalization is very, very high. You know, it, it's how, owners really can take their money from the football operations and put it into something that really is directly tied with how they operate. And would it be nice to have a Super Bowl in Chicago? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it would. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, you know, living out by Arlington Heights, I was very familiar with that horse track and all that. I just think it's location for access and egress and ingress is great. Um, 
I, I think that, you know, you could build something that would even be more something more magnif magnificent than Soldier Field. You know, as iconic as Soldier Field was down there on the lake. I mean, I'm glad I played there, you know, for just all of its, the reasons. But, you know, on the other hand, when you get down to purely business transaction, that would be a very smart idea for them to move forward and try to get that stadium built just as soon as they could, just like Arthur Blank did down in Florida with Mercedes Stadium, um, because it will result in huge finances and financial gain. Which is why, which is my for the record, Doug, and my plan, we're going to sell the, that stadium land to the Bears, and the Bears are going to pay a lot of taxes back to the city, and they can own that stadium right there where they belong on the lakefront. Story for another time. Uh, okay, we're, 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 I know it's a little bit of a pipe dream when I just laid out, but I'm still <laughs> holding out hope. Okay, so as we wrap up here, we haven't talked to any Walter Payton, and you were talking about popping back up. I'm guessing there was at least one time in practice where you tried to hit Walter and you didn't pop back up, or he popped back up faster. <laughs> No, let me just say, when you hit players, players should, should be guard. They should have numbers on them. They, how, how dense are these players? They shouldn't have like a 30 or 40 or number. No, Walter Payton was like steel, stainless steel. You hit him, you, you swore that you were just running into the side of a building, like concrete. It, it, it didn't give. You know, his density and his mind – Again, Walter was one of those people that could control his mind, and he he could he could do so many things. He could run, he could catch, he could throw. Uh, but when he came to hit you, it was serious. It was deadly serious. And you know he had incredible. I remember the first day he got there, we had like a universal machine, which is a weight machine, in our in our facility, and we, there were some individual weights around there. But Walter Payton went around that entire universal machine on everything was maximum and he did 10 of everything like bench press <laughs> leg press overhead press i've never seen an exhibition like that whoever sold that machine should have had water Payton to go with it because he went around that machine like in three minutes and was throwing weight around i've never seen anybody throw around and his power his explosiveness um and, and he it, you would think somebody like that would get injured all the time he never got injured he, I, I never saw the guy get injured. Uh, you know, it just, he was amazing. I was very blessed when I first got there, they put everybody by alphabetic order in training camp. So Plank, Peyton, Hey, yes, I roomed with Walter Payton for the first year in training camp. I just learned a lot about him. Uh, you know, he asked me one time, you know, I'll never forget this. He goes, Doug, why do you think I, I didn't win the, the Heisman trophy? Well, I played with the only two time Heisman trophy winner, Archie Griffin. I said, well, here's the difference. You went to Jackson State. Archie went. Griffin went to Ohio State. I said, Walter, if you would have came to Ohio State, you would have been on national television all the time. I mean, this guy would have – I didn't know who Walter Payton was till I saw him down in training camp, and I, I was overwhelmed. He, and yeah. you know what? You didn't have – you didn't need a pregame talk for Walter to say, Walter, there's the field. That's it. He'd go out there, man, he was a warrior. And I'm so very fortunate and glad to have played with Walter Payton. I, I love it. Uh, Braggs, you got anything else? Because I'll ask one more if you, but. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm, you, you fire away and, and, well, and you just, know, Doug's always a phone call away. And, uh, and maybe, one day, maybe one day, maybe one day when you're in maybe. the city, you can grace uh, the CHGO studios with your presence and, I know everybody at the studio. I'd be glad to do it. You. Really, I didn't know I was allowed in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. You get Here's into like royalty the is always allowed in you, the studio. You you are allowed. You are encouraged. You will get you a key. Uh, you can come okay. anytime. <laughs> and, and and you compare the way you talked about Joe Namath. We have a picture of you up right now from back in the day. I think you're better better looking back then. Even now, Doug, but back then, I mean, look at those flowing locks, Braggs. You tell me Namath had nothing on play. <laughs> Namath had nothing on that. Zero point zero. Uh, hey. First time, Doug, you met Jim McMahon when he walks in there. What'd you think? I, I thought undisciplined, uh, very uh, outspoken. Uh, you know, he, Jim had kind of like an odd look to his eyes. You didn't know whether you were, he was looking at you or not. And, you know, yeah, and I heard, I heard he liked to drink a lot. I mean, I, that, that's all my job. I, I grew up with my a father that worked in a brewery in Pittsburgh, um, Duquesne Beer. And uh, so we always had beer around the house. So that, that didn't bother me. 
But, uh, you know, I, I just think that he was something that we needed. He, he really was something that we needed. I, I, he was a little bit of an offset to Mike Ditka. God, I love Mike Ditka. I, I think without Mike coming to Chicago, the Bears do not, do not go to the Super Bowl. He was the one that came in and breathed life into our offense and was leadership. And I'll never forget the first day we met, you know, at a meeting. And he just said, we're going to the Super Bowl. And there was a little chuckle <laughs> in the room. He goes, that's all right. Only half of you guys in this room are going to be going to the Super Bowl. The other half, you're going to be gone. And he goes, and you don't deserve to be here anyway. Man, you talk about getting slapped in the face. <laughs> that was it. Everything got real serious after that. Yeah. And, but that's what it took. I mean, uh, every everybody thinks it's just about one guy, you know, getting you to the Super Bowl, one quarterback or whatever. But Jim, what what made me love Jim McMahon was watching that Thursday night against the Vikings when, you know, he came in as a reserve because he was injured the week before. And I think his first three passes were touchdowns. That's oh, yeah. all you needed to say. And, you know, those weren't the plays that Mike Ditka set in. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know this until afterwards. Jim, Jim said, Willie, go deep. I'm going to throw you, Willie, go. I'm going to throw you the ball. Now, that's not a call Mike, Mike made. Mike didn't make that. And he still, what could you do? Three touchdowns? Hey, what are you doing calling your own plays? <laughs> well, they worked. <laughs> yeah, please call some more. We, 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 we like it. And here's the other thing. The defense absolutely loved Jim McMahon. And I can't say that for many other quarterbacks that were on that team. We didn't like those guys because they didn't get us any, hardly any points. You know, it was always, if we can't let, we got to make, keep the opponent from two, two touchdowns or less. Otherwise we're going to lose this game. And uh, yeah, yeah. He, he had, he had an instant friendship on the defensive side of things because here's the other thing. Jim McMahon would die for a first down. That What's that mean? Head to helmet contact. That means right. you're selling out to get the first down. I, I didn't see that from any other quarterback up to Jim that would do that. I mean, that, they just didn't do that. Well, I think that the Bears right now have a quarterback that the whole team rallies around, and he's yeah, ran right. a few. He ran a few people over last year too. So I think maybe with with you, you know, speaking on that, I think that that just shows how the future is bright for a young Justin Fields here in Chicago. Uh, you know, Doug, I really appreciate you coming on here today. Uh, appreciate you working through some of the technical stuff and, uh, we'll get you back and, and, and live and in color in studio one day down the road. <laughs> really, really appreciate it. No, I promise. It. I, if I'm there next time, I'm, I'm going to be looking you guys up. So don't lock the doors, you know, we, we, we won't in, in less than a minute, Doug, as we say goodbye, we just got a couple chats we didn't hit. Do you want, how do you want the bears to go about their offseason? Do you want them to use that one pick or trade it? This sounds crazy. I, I think they could leverage that choice. And, and I, I would say trade it. Yeah. Yeah. We're, team, team trade. We're, we're, we're all, we're all, is that, all is that what trade. you would call love it, love it or list it? Yeah. Well, uh, no, and, okay. it's, and it makes sense too, because it'll set you up for your future. Which I, I, I think honestly, you know, you're, you're going to gain so much leverage from that, that choice. It, it will, it, it will be ultimately much more greater rewards than you think any great person you could have chosen. Um, yeah. I, I, I would, I would negotiate with that. Yeah. Yeah. There's not that guy out there either. There's no, like no Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett. There's no Peyton Manning going with it. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Hey, Doug, thanks again. Uh, great stuff. Chat loved it. We loved it. And uh, we look forward to having you in studio down the line. All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Thank you. And, and Braggs, just know this, buddy. What I do. You're my, <laughs> you're, you're my hero, pal. It's great to be with you today, buddy. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for watching, everybody. Lawrence, thanks for producing. I hope everybody enjoyed the chat with Doug Plank as much as we did. And uh, judging by the, the chat, clearly you did. So thanks for watching CHGO Bears. We're back on Monday uh, at noon. Is that right? I think that's right. Uh, from the Super Bowl. We'll be out in Arizona all next week. That's right. There it is. February 6th to the 10th. Live shows from Arizona. 
uh, myself and Adam Hogue and Nicholas Moriano will all be out there. And not Braggs and not Lawrence. It, it's right, <laughs> right. We, we uh, you know, we're that's that's next year. Hopefully we're just going to bring everybody and then some. So, but everyone's going to be. Can stay, and you can stay at Doug's house. Doug we, lives out there. there yes, come on. Hey, I was going to say, come on down, guys. It's it, it's gonna be an awesome week. We'll have a ton of guests. Do you got a of... pool, Doug? We can come. <laughs> oh, I got a pool. I got pool. it all. I got it all. all right. I got all a right. great view to the mountains. Cactus in my backyard. I got it all. All right. I'm getting your number from Bragg's, Doug, and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you Monday for lunch. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching CHGO Bears. We appreciate you, and thanks again to Doug.